amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Welcome to Kara Live. So tonight's topic is a reflection of an election. As most of you know, I love the art of campaigning. Political strategizing is like sports to me. So I'm really excited about tonight's guest because he's one of the best players in the game. Before I introduce him, let's get the preliminary stuff out of the way. If you want to join this conversation, call 563 563- nine 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 three six two seven again the number is five six three nine 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 three six two seven on twitter i'm at carolive for this conversation use the hashtag carolive a follow on facebook and instagram at carolive my guest twitter handle is at joe trippy um and i want to welcome joe trippy to carolive Joe Trippy is a Democratic strategist and partner at Trippy, Norton, and Ross Meisel. Some of his experience and client lists has included races for um, Tom Bradley, Ted Kennedy, Doug Wilder, Gary Hart, John Edwards, Howard Dean, Walter Mondale, and that's just to name a few. Uh, more recently, he was the architect of Doug Jones' win in Alabama and campaign manager for Mike Espy in Mississippi. So I want to thank him for being on the show. So first, let's talk about your background. So what made you say political campaigning is a career for me? Uh, I never decided that. That never kind of <laughs> happened that way. I was an aeronautical engineering major in, in Silicon Valley at San Jose State University and uh, had always been kind of trying to figure out sort of, well, what was going to change more people's lives. How could I make a bigger difference? Would, it, would technology make a bigger difference in people's lives or would it be – or would politics, you know, uh, supporting somebody – for office, and I kind of like had an interest in both things, uh, but I was in school doing uh, uh, engineering, and um, uh, I, at the same time, I'd go on uh, at weekends. I'd, the first uh, candidate I ever worked for was a woman named Iola Williams, uh, uh, African-American woman uh, running for city council in uh, San Jose, California, and you know the papers were basically saying that she couldn't win, and because the city of uh, San Jose was only three percent African American, and you know the 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 incumbent she was running against um, had an easy fight because you know because Iola Williams had been the one who filed against him, um, and so you know I worked for her, and I would go back to school and study engineering, and I just kind of like always straddled those two worlds she would end up be uh, end up on the city council um and i would you know which would get me more interested in politics i keep working uh on it and i think that's what made me dangerous or dangerous enough in the two worlds uh for when howard dean came around i knew enough about technology and um uh and and, and the internet and 
things like that, and at the same time knew enough about politics that so because so many politicians and people in politics don't really understand technology, and there's a lot of people in technology who don't understand politics, and somehow I kind of ended up with enough experience in both worlds that I was able to kind of like see how to maybe you could do it differently, like the Dean campaign, how we built that. Um, and I think that sort of, so it, I never, it wasn't a career thing. It just sort of happened. <laughs> I don't know how to explain wow. that to you, but, but that's how it, that's, so it, it you, was. You're talking was, about the Dean campaign, but you, you were really before your time because you integrated computers like 20 years earlier. I mean, what? It's like you had foresight that you know we need. To oh yeah, no, up. no. I put like yeah. The, I think the first computer that had uh, been installed in a, uh, you know, in a race, uh, in a campaign headquarters was a. It was a PDP eleven uh, that I, uh, I put it. I installed it in uh, Tom Bradley's race for, uh, uh, for uh, governor of California back in nineteen eighty one, um, and like. Everybody in the campaign thought I was crazy because I had brought this huge. Back then, uh, that kind of computer was like, could, you know, it's as big as a room. It wasn't like, you know, the, what sits on our on our desktops today. Even right. though it's probably a lot dumber than the things that sit on our desktops today. But back then, it was, you know, state of the art. I put that in, and no, no, I, that's what I meant. I was always that was like four years after. Uh, maybe two years after I was out of college, I left, left San Jose State. Uh, I never did graduate, by the way. I just kept. Um, wow. I, I got. I just sort of kept going back and forth between uh, technology and politics. I worked for e-commerce and uh, cybersecurity uh, consulting back then. You know, as I was at the same time as working on campaigns, and like I said, it just sort of prepared me. I think to kind of have that that you know, you know be open to trying to do this a different way um when a lot of people couldn't see that the internet was going to change change things uh, I, you know i was able I to, to, to help make that happen the the when you installed the computer in in the the early 80s what kind of data were you trying to find or did you get when during that particular time uh, no, we had uh, we were crunching, uh, used it to crunch uh, precinct data, and okay. also we were using it um, uh, to um, create lists, list targeted lists of voters or oh, okay. precincts that we uh, names and precincts that we wanted to knock on doors or or mail. We did a lot of, and we also did a lot of um, direct mail fundraising with it. Um, where we would, I would kind of figure out uh, people who had given to us and then use it to find more people like them and and mail to them the old-fashioned way, snail mail. But it was, it was you know, we were, I, I think it was ahead of its, of, of, it definitely then in 1981, 82, it was way ahead of its, of its time uh, for what we were doing and then, um, you know, later on, I would, um, I think when Jerry Brown was running for president in 92, me and a guy named Joe Costello, um, we were kind of uh, really didn't like the way TV was one way and that you, you, it was just sort of preaching at everybody how trying to figure out a way to actually get voters, people out there to be able to connect with us because TV was the way everybody was communicating. And so we, came up with with using the an 800 number idea um to get people to sign up for the brown campaign and to send money in and we ended up uh that ended up uh, getting the 800 it actually made the 800 number a big thing in political campaigns for a while and jerry brown raised eight million dollars um with a you know with 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 ads uh, asking people to sign up with it, you know, calling in, and then if, and then that evolved later on to the Dean campaign. So it's been a long kind of constant from '81 or so to the till. Well, I'm still doing it, um, and uh, we did a lot of digital and uh, other 
targeting and, and television for, for Doug Jones and his race uh, in Alabama, you know, in December of last year, and we're helping and helped SB. Uh, we, we, we didn't win in Mississippi, but I, I think we made a difference. Yeah, I think you did, too. I, I applaud you for your efforts in Mississippi. Did, did you have another comment, um, Scott, before I move on? No, just it was interesting listening to his career path because I'm doing some, you know, something very similar going back and forth between the human resources world, the profession I'm, I'm in, and the uh, political world. And it's interesting to hear that that's kind of normal uh, before you uh, perhaps go into uh, what Mr. Trippy's doing full time with his with his consulting. Fine. Um, Sure. What uh, this this will be an easy one for you in this uh, 2018 cycle? What was the most surprising thing to you? Uh, oh, I wasn't I wasn't that surprised by this. I thought all along that uh, uh, that he was you know that Republicans were going to lose enough Republican women, younger Republicans, and college educated Republicans would be willing to. To, to, I mean, who just wanted to end the, um, they just weren't into the divisive, abrasive Trumpism in the party that we're gonna, you know, would would either not turn out or or move Democratic, and so it, I thought it was gonna be, I thought it was gonna be forty seats. Um, uh, I think I hedged my bets and said something like beforehand like I thought it'd be 35 but uh, but uh, I thought it'd be you know 35 to 40 and, and I actually did think it could get even bigger than that but it, it didn't um, but uh, I wasn't surprised by that and then you look at the Senate map and it can't be too surprising that uh, uh, you know that as red as those states were um, you know it, it was a it was a it was a GOP Senate map this this cycle, regardless of of how big uh, the move was. I mean, you look at even Mississippi, where I worked on the SB campaign. Um, okay. You know, Trump won that by eighteen points, fifty-eight uh, forty, I think it was. Um, SB, you know, held Cindy Hyde Smith to fifty-three point nine. Uh, you know, that's it, it, you know, it was a ten. Literally a ten point swing away from uh, from Trump numbers. So um, you know, going progress. From, yeah, going from eighteen down in Mississippi to eight. And uh, you know, the the problem is for the Republicans was there were a whole lot of districts out there that were only nine plus you know plus nine or plus eleven for them. Um, uh, you know, if you can make a plus eighteen, move to plus eight. Then you know it's not hard to see what happens if you got a bunch of plus you know Republican plus nine districts out there eight or, or twelve. A lot of those went down. A lot of those you know went went to uh, uh, to, to Democrats. So uh, like I said, I didn't see a whole lot that surprised me. Um, anyway, you know we'll see what. It, I think it's now going to be you know it, obviously the presidential is going to be in, be you know God. 50 people thinking about going, so we'll right. see what happens. Right. Uh, let me ask you this question. I'm in Tennessee. I'm in Nashville. Right. I worked on the Carl Dean for Governor campaign, yep. and we just had our debrief where our Tennessee Democrat Party Chairman Mary Mancini is traveling the state and just uh, asking folks what they thought about the campaigns, what do they think we need to do differently. And one of the things this, that has been raised is a couple of people are saying, well, in Tennessee, you had two moderate camp candidates, and they were trying to hedge their bet on some, you know, Republican positions, kind of in a, in a me too fashion. I'm for that too. Uh, our Senate candidate Phil Bredesen actually did a commercial where he was uh, in almost like a military fatigue, and he's leading people to the border. And a lot of people in Tennessee were saying, well, that's just not effective trying to be a moderate, and in Instead, you need to change the electorate, you know, this term, change the electorate by going after low-propensity voters, people who are not as likely to vote, and you need some sort of charismatic, progressive figure like uh, Beto O'Rourke. 
And so what is what is your opinion on that, particularly in states that are are red? Uh is moderate are moderate democratic candidates out now? And the and for Democrats to survive we need to adopt more progressive positions. What what's your thought on that? You know, I think a lot of things that'll work in you know, in one state won't work in another. Um and I think but I also think look you're, we're in a world where uh, everything's gotten tribal, and uh, uh, people go to their corners. And so, um, if you're in a state where if everybody goes to their corner, there's a lot more red than blue. You're going to get your rear end handed right. to you if if you too are helping. If the candidate and the campaign is waged in such a way that helps make people go to their corners, that's not going to be that, – that that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, being moderate or anything. I'm talking about more tone um, okay. than um, – you know, if you you got a Republican name caller and a Democratic name caller, then why wouldn't Republicans just pick their own name caller, right? I mean, you know, why, why – right. Hey, yeah, right. right. I don't. It, that's. I mean, I think it's actually more tone. We. I know in the party we keep talking about this a lot. Is, um, you know, left versus centrist, and and I think look, you could be uh, uh, a centrist. You can be uh, a progressive, but I think in this environment you have to be cognizant that if if the tone that you're using. If it's if there's anger, if it's uh, abrasive, um, you're likely to push a lot of Repu- Republicans that might be looking um, at their own party and wondering what the, what happened, uh, and starting to look over across at the Democrat. And uh, and I think if they see some, a common, you know, sort of somebody talking about. Uh, you know what what we all have in common and why we have to come together um that that they're going to start listening to the ideas that candidate has whether they be centrist or progressive but if if it's just uh if the tone's off then i think they're going to you know they're going to stick with with um uh the the chaos within their own party or the or the anger in their own party why why pick an angry you know somebody who's who they think is just going to be just as divisive, but just from a different party. It, that that you know that that sort of turns them off. I think one of the things I wanted to add to that piece of the discussion. You know, what does it say when um, um, you have a Steve King being reelected in Iowa? And you have three people under the federal indictment who got elected this time, and we had Kemp and DeSantis saying racially charged things, and we had a, a dead camp in Nevada who also got elected. Uh, I heard you talking about how um, we're being tribal and we're divided, but um, what does it say when uh, people elect other people who, instead of, of, instead of electing a uh, viable alternative, Well, I mean, look. I think part of this is the the you know is the 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 way the lines were drawn in a lot of these places. If you you know if you draw a safe district for Steve King, uh, it's hard. You know, they're going to and it's made of rock bed Republican. Um, what's happened is like what we saw in in, in Alabama, and as I was saying, if you if you look at polarized political world we're in where people literally no matter what the charge is on both sides by the way immediately go to their corners um that's what happens and so like in in uh in Alabama when the um uh, accusations were made against Roy Moore um uh you know women accusing him of you know of uh uh you know of pedophilia um they what 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 happened was um the 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 base went home they actually became more partisan because their their 
um, their candidate was under attack and it was just more fake news and Washington uh, Washington elites trying to take out their guy um, is how a lot of uh, uh, his supporters saw it. And it didn't uh, move them away from him. It actually uh, tightened his grip on them. Um, and so, you know, that's what I was saying. You, you, you can – if you throw gasoline on that fire um, and uh, uh, help drive people back to their corner – if you're in a, a district that was drawn specifically to make sure uh, a Republican or a Democrat one, I mean, forget about party right now. If you're in a district where um, uh, it was written specific, drawn specifically so that one party had a massive advantage over the other, if people go to their corners, you're not going to win that district, right? You're just basically people are going to their corners in a place that was drawn to make sure that if people went to their corners, your guy won. I mean, again, this doesn't matter whether it's King in Iowa or uh, a district in San Francisco. Um, uh, if the only, you know, it, it, it's it's about starting a, a conversation that lets people start to to listen to the other other side, and that it's got to be conversational, not just on a relentless attack i think in the, in this environment anyway that's just my view yeah so speaking of the districts and, and realizing that they're gerrymandered so what methods and strategies can the dems um do in the future um based on the fact that we know that the districts are drawn that way well my first pro- mistake and problem for like a couple decades was we didn't we didn't fight for the uh That's true. <laughs> uh, to, to 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 draw the lines i mean we right. we didn't pay attention the republicans were pay you know putting tons of money and time and effort into winning legis- you know state legislative seats um right. and democrats were so focused on um on federal and national office that we just didn't we didn't the national party i mean i don't mean that uh Obviously, local folks in Tennessee or Mississippi or or California were 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 doing what they could, but there wasn't a big national um, party focus on on um, on legislative seats, uh, where the Republicans realized early on that there was real power in drawing the lines if they if they did that and they did and they redrew the lines after they um got the house back um and and, and different house you know different uh state houses back and that's what has put us in the you know that's what has put democrats um in the hole in the in the house of representatives and now i think the party is woken up to that and i think this year we picked up a bunch of legislative seats in this wave uh, that elected, you know, 39 or 40 members of of the House. But I think, you know, now, uh, as we were talking earlier, um, in some of these places, Democrats haven't competed. I mean, you know, in Alabama, uh, no competitive Democrat had run for the Senate in 25 years. In, uh, In Mississippi, um uh there hadn't been a democrat who contest who who was a competitive contestant for the US Senate in 32 years. Um wow. Wow. so when Mike Espy does run in, in 2018 in a state that Trump won by 18 points and um he holds the Republican incumbent uh to a 53.9% win, you know, basically Going from 18 down to to, un, to under eight down, um, uh, that's a. Why did that happen? Because we were competing. We had a good candidate. We had uh, a candidate who who uh, was able to garner support and resources and contest the seat. And that's the first time in 32 years. If you if we started to do that everywhere, run everywhere, run hard, um, and I think it's more toned than. Center than, than ideology, um, 
but with the right, um, is, is, again, SB was another uh, candidate who stressed coming together, finding common ground, ending the divisiveness and the chaos that's uh, uh, in our politics today. And there were a lot of Republicans who listened to that. And look what, you know, and it, how did we get from 18 down to 8 down? Well, there had to be, yes, there was a huge, uh, big, in, a lot of energy on the Democratic side. That's part of it when you're in a place that's got 18 you know, 50, that you're supposed to lose 60-40 because that's how many Republicans there are. Um, when you lose it, and yes, we did lose, uh, but it was, you know, an honor to be in that fight. But we lost um, 53 point, like I said, 53.9 to 46.1. And, um, and that could only happen in a place that red if you did both things, got your got Democrats mm-hmm. to vote, um, and got Republicans um, to think about voting Democrat for the first time in Mississippi for the first time, many of them for the first time in their lives. Um, wow. So you've got to do both those things. Um, I mean, if you haven't contested the Senate seat there for 32 years, there are a lot of 30-year-old, <laughs> 30-year-old people in Mississippi who'd never seen a Democrat run for run for the u.s senate i mean you see so, wow. you, so you gotta you know so it's about yeah turning out the the democrats energizing them obviously uh appealing to them but at the same time you know you we you can't it's there aren't enough democrats in mississippi um to win statewide you can't do it with just democrats you got to be able to convince some republicans to cross over and that's just i mean you know take this to the extreme let's go to idaho i mean how do you get, how's a democrat going to win the state of idaho well that's going to be a long process but again and we i think for the first time this year we actually had a a, a relatively competitive uh governor gubernatorial candidate up there so it's it we got to run everywhere run hard but we've got to do both things energize our our base supporters but understand that the tone in which we talk and and listen to the other side and try to find some common ground or enough common ground that that that, that they will uh like they did in Alabama look across and like they did with Mike Espy a lot of them look across the aisle and say yeah I'm going to I'm going to vote for a democrat for the first time in 25 years Wow. Well, with with that said, you know, making me think about how do we recruit, uh, you know, additional Democrats to run in those particular states if if, if they haven't even seen anyone run in 32 years. Hmm. How, well, how that's can we, starting to happen. I mean, competitive? Said, yeah, but we had more candidates run this cycle than for at every level than we've ever seen before. Some of that's Trump. I mean, Trump's obviously. Um, uh, energized a, a, a lot of people, particularly women, uh, to seek okay. office. But I think the other side of that is, we, you know, I think Doug Jones winning in Alabama uh, encouraged a lot of uh, people uh, uh, to to think about, uh, well, maybe I could do that. Maybe I can do it over in Mississippi or or in Georgia or some of these other other states. And I think you saw, I think we we saw a lot of people running. Um, in places that we haven't been competitive in the past or where people haven't run in the past. That doesn't mean we're going to win all. Yeah, and we came close and lost in a lot of them. I got that. But but that is a big step from losing these places by 18 points or, or you know, to, in Alabama, I think it was 28 points um, before Doug Jones came along. So, uh, uh, and, at the, and it's going to be a, a, a hard fight. Um, to hold on to that seat, um, but you know, but and so, you know, Doug Jones needs our help, um, and and and, and I think there'll be others. Um, you know, the the seat um, that Cindy Hyde Smith, um, uh, you know, she was appointed, and then she she now won the, the the final two years of the term, but that comes up in Mississippi in 2020, two years from now, she's right back up. You know, we got to go right back at uh, that Mississippi seat after we've closed that gap the way we did this time. Keep building on it. We can win it. 
So, so you, you you have a comment, Scott? Yeah, I, w- I was going to say, oh, that's she's saying exactly what Mary Mancini, our Tennessee Democratic Party chair, said to us just last night that we're closing the gap. You know, we're closing the gap, and the fact that we haven't run competitive candidates in a long time. And what I raised at that meeting last night is when you haven't been competitive for so long, learning how to be competitive is is its own challenge. Uh, because even with uh, the Dean campaign here in Tennessee, uh, just little basic stuff like you had a lot of millennials on our team, and there was this, seemed to be this love-hate relationship with yard signs. And I would tell them, we need to put out as many yard signs as we can because there are people all across this state that don't live in Nashville and they do not know who Carl Dean is. And they didn't really see the value of that. And that just kind of comes from, well, we haven't run a competitive race in 12 years for a governor's uh, seat. So we just we have people that are so new, they don't know what to do that's effective. So I think a lot of that goes on, too, when you do not run uh, each cycle and have a viable candidate. You have these big gaps of time where you just simply don't know how to be competitive. Yeah, I don't so, I don't dis- disagree with that. I think part of that is, I mean, that is a, a lot of the problem for Democrats across the South. I mean, we just haven't, not, again, a lot of, a lot of places where either people didn't run, we didn't have, or didn't have the resources, uh, where the party just atrophied. Um, you, you know, I mean, look, uh, there wasn't any, uh, Big get out the vote apparatus in in places like Alabama or Mississippi because uh, I don't know what it was like in Tennessee, but it, you know there just hadn't been a competitive uh, structure put together uh, for years. Um, you know certainly uh, none of the Democratic presidential campaigns ever fought for those states for their electoral yes. votes. So that yes, so you know so you start to the the apparatus, the structure, the know-how yes. of getting out the vote and identifying support, all, you know, you lose it. It just starts evaporating over time. And then in the meantime, um, if you don't have any candidates out there arguing against all the attacks on Democrats, I mean, look, if there's no one running for these offices and, and all the states been hearing for years is how Democrats will – ruin your state if you ever elect them and there's no one answering it no one putting any ideas yes. out there because we're not running anybody yes. uh yep. you get i mean it starts to become like this self-defeating you know kind of death spiral um that i think in a lot of places we're climbing out of and i think you are getting more competitive and uh i mean i think we saw it, it you know across a lot of you know usually red areas this this year where we had candidates running, there were the grassroots got behind them and made sure they had some money, even if the national party wasn't there for them, the people were, um, and they were able to mount some of the first competitive races in a lot of these places. Yes, we fell short um, in in many of them, but we hit one a hell of a lot of them too, and I think um, that's still the prescription for moving forward. We've built. Some, you know, stronger parties, like I said, things are stronger in Mississippi. Things are stronger, I think, in Tennessee. You know, we, these are all big steps, and um, we just have to keep making that case. And hopefully in 2020, um, uh, you, you know, we'll, 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 these close races will move the other way. We'll finally have built strong enough that we can actually uh, win more uh, more of them than we did uh in 2018, but 2018 was a pretty good, successful year, and the map in 2020 is a lot bluer than the map we faced um, in in 2018, particularly on the Senate side. So, so yeah. you know, we we're doing a lot of focus on the um, the southern states, and as you're aware, that in the 70s, I think it was Nixon who first derived the Southern strategy. And some of the our listeners may not be familiar with the phrase the Southern strategy, but 
1981, uh, political consultant uh, Lee Atwater outlined the Southern strategy, strategy, which is basically how to win votes of races without sounding races. And as a born Southerner, Atwater knew how to play a balancing act between that and racial politics, which is still prevalent today as we see with um, the whistling that um, the current president does. I want to play a clip. It's going to be a little offensive to some, but this is Atwater in an interview um, in 1981 talking about the Southern strategy, and we'll talk about it on the back end. Approach that issue as a, as a, as a statistician or a political scientist, or no, as a psychologist, which I'm not, is, is how abstract you, you handle the race thing. In other words, you start out, and yeah, now you're on a quote. You start out in 1954 by saying nigger, nigger, nigger. By 1968, you keep saying that that hurts your backfire, so you say stuff like uh, force busting, states' rights, and all that stuff. And you're getting so abstract now, you're talking about cutting taxes and all of these things. You're talking about a totally economic thing, and the byproduct of them is blacks get hurt worse than white. And subconsciously, maybe that is part of it. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that if it is getting that abstract and that coded, uh, that, that we, we're doing away with the racial problem one way or the other. Uh, you follow me? Because obviously sitting around saying uh, we want to cut taxes, we want to cut this, we want is much more abstract than, than even the busing thing. Uh, and a hell of a lot more abstract than never knew. You know. So I, any way you look at it, race is coming on the back burner. So, so basically, he's playing racial politics, and he, he, Atwater practiced what he preached because he's the um, person who derived the, the Woody Norton ad in 1988 for um, George H.W. Bush. And um, so I, I'm segueing back to today's politics because um, in the DeSantis race, you had him using the phrase monkeying it up. Uh, and your race hikes up in Mississippi talking about going to a public hanging, and then Trump, you know, exaggerates crime statistics and calling himself a nationalist. And that's just the name of few. So as a strategist, how do you um, overcome these particular obstacles working? You know, we, we've, I guess we've, we've talked about it some, but how do you overcome those obstacles and strategies working as a strategist in the South? I think look it's uh it's a uh uh again you know it it's like we said it's it's about fighting everywhere you know running everywhere running hard and it's a, and I said again it's tone it there if if we are looking uh you know if we're if we're pushing people to their corners again um, that's not going to help. And so right. how do we get people out of their corners? It's having that conversation. It's about the kitchen table issues that people care about, their health care, um, you know, things that that it, 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 the more we focus on on the kitchen table issues, the more likely we're going to get some of those people uh, who are Republican on the other side to come to come with us if you if we basically um you know get have this angry debate we're just going to keep them in their corner they're never going to listen uh, and and i'm not talking about uh the the racial component i'm just saying that they they there, there are plenty of people um who could come over and vote for a democrat but they're not they're we we've so we've been so not competitive and actually haven't put you know they haven't really heard a lot all they know i mean when when we were doing focus groups in alabama people in the groups literally spit the word democrat out like it was poison i mean Mm. because that's all they that was their you know they they hadn't there'd been no Democrat like Doug Jones, 
um, as a candidate, you know, there hadn't been any, you know, that the with with resources that could actually get a message out that actually conveyed that he listened to people and that he wanted to find common ground with them, um, and that you know, and so it, failing to do that, then all the, the all the stereotypes and all the scare tactics work, you know. Um, and by the way, yeah, the the the. You know, Trump was good at scaring people. Um, that's not, you know, that's what they did. Tried to do, you know, what they were doing in Florida and Georgia. Uh, that's what her comments about, you know, about public hangings or just, I mean, just, you know, yeah, you can, you can play on people's fears, or you can, you can um, uh, appeal to them. On, on issues that really um, uh, move beyond those fears. And, you know, th- what I'm saying is that we've got to do both things, right? We have to allay their fears. Um, we're not out to, uh, 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 you know, be in some uh, fight against uh, against anyone we want to bring people together at the same time energize and make sure our people vote uh we got to do both those things and we're never going to get all i mean that's the whole thing i mean the jones race um we had to get um i can't remember uh we had to get something like um 30 30 low 30s of sort of um independent uh, Republican, um, uh, but non-Democrat. I mean, that people that weren't Democrats. We had to get 31% of them um, to have a to be in the race, and we got exactly 31. We ended up being. Wow. Uh, we ended up winning the race by 23,000 votes. But you can't. If we hadn't done that, if we hadn't. Uh, uh, appealed to people who wanted to compromise, who wanted to find common ground. There's no way um, that we would have. It would the race wouldn't have been competitive at all in Alabama. It would have been more sixty, like sixty forty, like most races in Alabama are when, um, mm. you know, between Trump and Clinton, for instance. Yeah. So I had a question, Kara. Go ahead. Uh, my my question is. Is, is this along the same lines of what you were just discussing? It seems like uh, you know, with uh, the, the racial politics, it seems like there's also um, the bread and butter play of the uh, Republican Party with fear. At the root of that is they're sending a subliminal message to voters: Hey, you're not safe. Democrats will will not keep you safe. And like in one decade, they may say it's the Russians. You know, Democrats are weak on defense. Uh, others, it'll be just basic gun ownership rights. Democrats do not want to keep you safe. Uh, the Willie Horton ad, the caucus does not want to keep you safe. In fact, he's so cavalier about it, he furloughed this guy and the guy raped somebody. And then this year, the the Democrats are, are a mob, they're crazy, they're, you know, they're yelling at Trump. And they will not keep you safe with these very dangerous illegals coming. And so there's a racial part of that, but there's also the root message that I think they're conveying is Democrats will not keep you safe. Do you think Democrats uh, are aware that that, they just only see the race part, but they don't see the safety part, that the real message I'm sending to you is that you're not safe with these Democrats? Well, I, like I, like I was saying, the the real message is be afraid, be very very afraid, um, and you know, you you know be afraid for your safety, be afraid of the other, be afraid. But it's all always be you know be afraid of being invaded, be be afraid of nuclear attack. But it's always be afraid, um, uh, and what. Um, I think uh, it, it is that people are getting, they, you know, basically people don't like being afraid. <laughs> I mean, it's not like a, right. you know, you don't like constantly feeling like you're hanging by the edge of a thread or that 
you, you know, the, the area. And, and so I think, and and that tends to be the group. That's what I'm, what I was saying earlier about the groups that are like sort of getting, catching on are suburban Republican women, younger Republicans, college educated Republicans are, I, I, I think are becoming fatigued. Um, oh. At that constant chaos, that constant division, that constant preying on their fears, they're the ones that are um, are, uh, are 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 just t- getting tired of it, um, and why they were the ones that were you know leaving and for the first time thinking of voting Democrat, and many of them did. I think there's you know it it's it's worked. It, it, you know, it's worked for the Republicans for quite a while. It definitely worked in 2016, no doubt about that. Um, it, it's going to work in, um, you, you know, to bring the base home and to make people run to their corners. Uh, but, you know, my point is sort of fighting fear with fear is just going to make, okay, great. We'll have everybody go to their corners then and we'll, and, and in these Republican, we're there, that's not how we're going to win Idaho or Mississippi. Gotcha. Thank you. That'll work. That might work fine in New York or Massachusetts or you know uh, a bunch of different states. That's I mean we're we are a big country. People places are different, but I do think you know if you it's not hard to figure out the math. If you're outnumbered, you got to win some of those people over somehow. And yelling at them or or saying they're wrong about everything is not gonna isn't a, isn't a a winning strategy if people listen to you and think well maybe I should listen to them. Okay, very very good, thank you. So so for so for full disclosure, well let me back up. So I'm gonna change the subject. We're still talking about the South, but uh, different state, my home state of North Carolina. So for full disclosure, um, as I said, I'm originally from North Carolina, uh, specifically from District 9. Um, Also, Joseph Malcolm, who was recently named the election chairman, is from my hometown. Our families go back three generations as friends. So with that said and out of the way, um, so my home county, Robinson County, and neighboring county, Bladen, are being investigated for Voter fraud. Yeah. Where, well, it's actually where, no election fraud. Yeah, election fraud. Yeah. And where the vote was being suppressed by absentee votes or ballots being completed by individuals yeah. from the Republican Party on behalf of aging population are just discarding the the ballot. So at this juncture, the election hasn't been certified. So, in your opinion. What steps should the North Carolina, the state of North Carolina, take at this point? Well, I mean, look, I think they got to—they're going to have to have another election. I don't think there's it any other way. Did they have another election? Does everything just wipe clean to start over? Yeah, I don't think there's a way to—to to, I mean, because as I understand it, uh, you know, ballots were destroyed, et cetera. So you're never going to be able to reconstruct it. I think and have a like a fair count. I think the only. Uh, the only, uh, uh, you know, fair. I don't know, I don't know how fair it is because we may, you know, maybe Democrats won it outright the first time, but I don't think anybody. I don't think even a, a you know, a, a non-biased count uh, that you could prove was a non-biased count would necessarily show that now because of the tampering that went on, or it looks like it went on. Um, so I think you know the only thing I, I would expect. I think the. If I saw uh, right before we came on the podcast, um, the the uh, the paper in the district, I can't remember which one it was, might have been the Observer, but anyway, uh, editorialized uh, uh, today calling for a new election. Uh, that that's that's the first major paper who's, who that has actually come out and and um, on its uh, opinion page called for. Of the Secretary of State and election officials to declare a new election. So I think that's that seems to me to be the likely place this is headed. 
Yeah, I was just wondering, they haven't given any date of when or how they're going to do that yet. I was just wondering what what their their plan of action is at this point and what they should be doing. Well, they're going to, I think there's a deadline for when they have to certify the the vote. So I I I just think this is I mean, everybody's got to keep we got to be loud and strong on um not letting this slip off the front pages and not letting it slip off uh, you know sort of slipped under the rug um you know people should be raising their voices here and i and there are and i think that the newspapers uh editorializing calling for the new election is going to put a lot of pressure on the election officials to do the right thing here um and, and then we got to be prepared to wage uh a a a, a you know, hard-fought campaign because this will be the only uh, House seat. I mean, this sort of will be like the Doug Jones special election. Uh, obviously, that was for the Senate, but this one will be, uh, you know, a, a, a you know start with a blank slate election where it, where it's the only thing happening in the country, uh, which means the Republicans, you know, are going to pump, uh, you know, the the Koch brothers and everybody in their, you know. Every independent expenditure in the NRA and everybody else will be in there with millions of dollars to win this one seat. Um, uh, we're going to have to, uh, you know, band together pretty quickly here and be prepared uh, uh, to, to to wage a, a fight for Dan. I would say my last question would be for him: uh, the the old Clint Eastwood movie, the good, the bad, and the ugly. What was the good out of the 2018 for the Democrats? What was the bad? What was the ugly? Real quick. <laughs> oh, good. I mean, look, I think it was a big, a big, you know, we won the House, and I think uh, uh, we, I think we showed that uh, we can compete in a lot of uh, places people didn't think Democrats could compete in, but we did. Uh, the bad, uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think. One of the problems we've got still is um, uh, getting enough focus on in competing everywhere. I think the party's woken up, but it needs to wake up a lot more. Um, and uh, well, I really think that we, you know, that that's that that's part of the problem that we have to that we we showed in the good was in 2018 we showed when we compete when we put competitive candidates up there we close the gap and the problem is we the bad is we didn't have as much focus as we could have had from um the party over the years and hope they wait the bad is they haven't woken up enough to that yet hope they do uh uh and, and i do think they are some it's a uh, and ugly, I'm sorry, I, uh, you know, uh, uh, I don't have one a good one for that. I mean, you know, That's ugly good. is is uh, uh, is it Trump still president? <laughs> I knew that. I kind of knew that was going to be the ugly. <laughs> On that note, we have we have a question to come in that was inbox, and they wanted to know who's running. Where is it at? Who's running for president? And I'll Everybody. Ask you that. Who, who's your top three? <laughs> oh man, I don't. I mean, there are so many people running. Uh, I mean, from Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. I mean, I don't know if Joe's going to go, but I mean, you know, the the uh, uh, you know Bernie, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, I mean, it is just a. I mean, there are like over fifty people talking about it delaney the congressman from maryland's already in the race as are a, a few others you know already declared and out there in iowa uh running well, this is going to be that's really, that's, that's really said he's running and has uh people on the ground yeah absolutely yeah there are this will be by by early january i'll bet you that we've got like you know eight or nine people already declared i mean this is going to be a a huge field. I mean, a big, big, large field, but probably larger than the Republicans had in in 2016. And the and look, that that means that it's unpredictable. I mean, it, you know, it, it, when you've got 16, 17, 18 candidates, 
you know, 19% of the vote could win you Iowa, uh, which is, by the way, what happened in 2016 with Trump. He would win those early states with, you know, very small amounts. Um, but it was enough, and then other people would run out of money, or he would mm-hmm. win. You know, he, 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 you, mm-hmm. when you get a win in Iowa, New Hampshire, some of these places, you start getting more coverage. And, of course, you know, oh, yeah. so so we, you know, so sort of, sort of picking out who of all the, of this huge, you know, field of candidates is going to emerge. There are a lot of incredibly good candidates. I know Deval Patrick, uh, former governor of Massachusetts, took himself out of the race today or yesterday. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he, he, he said he's not going. But, I mean, oh, every no. you know, mm. there will be – There'll be four more who will, so uh, it's going to be a huge field. I wouldn't want to predict that at all right now. I mean, you, know, you, you can look at Bloomberg. Vegas, Vegas you got odds. like three or four billionaires that are going to get in the Democratic side too. Bloomberg, Schultz from Star uh, from Starbucks, I think is going to get in. Maybe Tom Steyer. That's I mean, you got you got three or four billionaires, three or four strong progressives. Three or four younger generations, time for a new generation of leadership. I mean, there's going to be different, you know. And, and then you got the the Bernie, you know, sort of Bernie establishment wing fight. So there's going to be four or five, six different uh, uh, wings or 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 flavors out there fighting fighting for you, you know to get in the you know to try to get in the top two or three. Uh, and I think. The internet is going to make a lot of them able to, uh, with a good message, able to raise some money and and, and build grassroots support. So, I don't think this is going to be uh, very easy to predict at all. No one would have predicted Trump. So, you know, uh, and we're not counting on yet all those names I rattled off. You know, you could still get a a uh, uh, a you know a celebrity. Um, Democrat getting into this that we're not thinking about right now, that 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 in a big field like that might grab enough attention to upset the apple cart the way Trump did. So, I, I, by the way, I'm not saying all this is is good. I just we don't know yet. We just see who emerges and and uh, pick your candidate and and get in there and and fight hard for him. Wow. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. No, thanks thank for having Scott. me. The ball. And, uh, I, ho- I, I hope thank it worked you. out with thank all the techno- tech, <laughs> the technology. Yes, yeah, thank you. <laughs> okay, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, thank all right. you. Bye-bye. Thank thanks, you. Bye-bye. Scott. Bye. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. For everyone uh, who did miss part of the show, the um, uh, you can listen later on your own at uh, iTunes or um, TuneIn Radio. So thanks, everyone, for listening to the show. Again, I apologize for the technical difficulties at the beginning of the show. Um, feel free to tune back in and listen at your leisure. Again, uh, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to check out the website, www.caralive.com. Thanks again for listening to Kara Live. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. 
Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.